to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. topic that I want to get into. It's been so prevalent in our lives. Social media has, I mean, I am myself someone who has probably depended far too much on social media, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc. And I am just fascinated by the whole phenomenon of, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would never ever have had the connections that we have today. We can communicate with people all around the world. But at what cost? When we really, really think about it, do we have, quote unquote, 300 friends? Do, do we really know people that we meet on social media? And what has it done to change our lives? So today I have a very special guest, Leslie Shore. Leslie is a communication expert, professor, and author. She's also the owner of a consultancy uh, firm called Listen to Succeed, where she has worked with uh, corporations, nonprofit organizations, entrepreneurs, health professionals, and educational institutions to sort of up-level their intrapersonal and interpersonal communication skills. Her book, Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers of Effective Listening, is actually currently used in four universities and in businesses and nonprofits throughout the, the country. And you can find out more by going to listentosucceed.com. Leslie Shore, welcome to Out of the Box Radio. Well, thank you so much, Christine. Now, first of all, let's. I always, with my guests, I like to find out how they got to the point where they're at right now. And I know that you are a communications expert. That's probably been focused with business. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about maybe also the social um, uh, ramifications of social media and how you really got involved in this aspect of it? Well... The whole reason I got involved in communication to begin with is because I was lucky enough to have a set of parents and, and a grandmother who were really unbelievable communicators and even more so unbelievably fabulous listeners. And that's what I ended up doing my master's on was the listening. And then it really got to the point where I noticed that we were beginning to see that there were problems with people communicating. It's like <clears throat> they were ending up missing each other. Someone would say something at the other person, and it was like it'd go right by their head, and the same thing would come back. It, the communication wasn't a conversation where anybody was actually 
talking about the same thing. And I was saying to myself, why? What is going on here? And so that's how I really got into communication as a whole. And then the social media thing, because it started, and it started with our younger generation taking it on uh, full force, one of the things that I realized is that there's no rule book. And when there's no rule book, things happen that probably ought not to. And I really felt that it needed to be uh, looked into and eventually dealt with. The would you I would I would say that it 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 seems to be changing too. the landscape of communication has really changed so drastically. I was watching a video just the other uh, night about it was a, a it was focused on like Italian families. I'm not Italian, but I could totally relate to the story because it was talking about, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, as an example, when the doorbell rang, everybody in the house would like be excited, like, you know, oh, who's at the door? You know, they would run and they would open the door, hardly would ever, would ever even look out to see who it was. And it would be somebody just coming by saying, hey, you know, I was in the neighborhood. I wanted to stop by. And that was the idea of company. We had the idea of, oh, we have company. You know, let's get the Entenmann's cake out and the, and the coffee <laughs> and, and come and sit down. And um, as children, I never, I, I mean, we weren't on computers. We weren't on smartphones. We weren't even playing video games. I think Pong was the, the, the most technolo- technological advanced game that we had at the time. And that didn't come out for a while. But we were actually really interacting with one another 20, 30 years ago. And now when that same doorbell ring, you know, I mean, everybody shuts the lights off. You know, uh, hides in the room, you know, says, don't make a noise, you know, hide under the bed. And uh, what's so wild is that as as our interpersonal skills have diminished in that way, we're not talking to one another. We are exposing ourselves so much more on social media. And and let's talk about that from from, you know, how we communicated 20 or 30 years ago to how we communicate today. And, Christine, I think you are right on in terms of what used to be and what is. When I was growing up, uh, dinner time was a sacred time. There, of course, there were no cell phones at that time. Television was off. And as a family, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock, we talked. And I know now that that is something that doesn't happen. We've got kids who are doing so many different things that you're lucky to have more than just the mother and father sitting at the table and the kids get something to eat when when they show up. And what has happened, to your point, is that the ability to have deep conversations that are meaningful, that people can ask questions and you can get deeper that seems to have gone by the wayside at home. And then when you look at what is going on in terms of friends, what they do is they seem to sit around and have their cell phone out and probably even texting each other even though they're three feet apart. And to that, to your point, I think what's happened is that our ability to be social 
without a smartphone in our hands is is really in jeopardy. And for some generations, I don't even think they know how to be social without a cell phone in their hands. I, I'm seeing more and more people becoming isolated within their own mm. world where they'll if they where they have to interact like at work let's say or uh, if, you know if they go to the bank or something like that they have to interact with another human being but i what i'm witnessing is that more and more people are withdrawing from the real world and living hours hours of the day within this artificial world of social media where they're um they're interacting through texts or sometimes through, you know, through voice, through, you know, speaking, speaking through the phone or, uh, you know, some kind of app or something like that. But it just seems to me that there is a pull away from nature, from the outside world and going mm -hmm. into this artificial reality. And let's be honest, the, the, you know, the people that we meet on social media, uh, what they're showing you is, you know, who they really are is not who, who they are on social media. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? You understand? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that is beginning to be missing from the skill set of our younger generation is the ability to figure out really who people are. Because if all they are doing is communicating with people online, who is that person really? How can you figure out who they are? What skills do you have to figure that out? And the point about isolation is absolutely true. When you can sit in your bedroom and you can spend hours, if, if, if you're a teenager, hours on Facebook, but you don't actually have interaction with other folks outside of the electronic media, you are definitely talking about what I would consider emotional isolation. And after a while, this is something that is going to impinge uh, normal developmental growth. And the younger that you're exposed to that, then it shapes the neural pathways in your brain so that you that becomes something that's normal it's like a habit um as well which i think that there i i you know how there's um you know alcoholics anonymous and narcotics anonymous and i think that there's going to be a social media anonymous uh sometime because it 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 can very well be an addiction i will i will raise my hand mm -hmm. and say that i find myself many times um, drawn into that world, and uh, and you do you get lost uh, quite quickly. But also there is the lack of physical contact with you know even with mm -hmm. your if you if you go if you go to a, a birthday celebration or you go to to actually physically meet up with people, you have that eye to eye contact, which is vitally important. You have the ability to give them a hug if they're you know. If you're breaking down and you're emotionally upset about something, it's one thing to have somebody text you, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, cheer up, uh, you know, I care about you, versus someone just coming up and just looking you square in the eye and saying, I love and care for you and giving you a hug. 
It's a very big difference. You're saying, yeah, you're saying something that I think what we're talking about is generationally we are beginning to look at a an emotional situation where because so much is done over social media and not enough is done face-to-face or at least voice-to-voice over the telephone. I really believe that the ability to um, emotionally handle things, either by yourself or with the help of other folks that, as you say, can give you the hug, can look you in the eye and say, you're valuable to me. I mean, just that look in the eye will say that. Your value to me, to me, I care about you, I love you. That is all missing, and I wonder if we're not beginning to look at an attachment disorder in the making as a result of the social media um, addiction. And I'm, I am going to call it an addiction because you are so right. Once you get into it, unless you set some kind of an alarm, you can be in there for three hours and you don't know it. And once you get off of it, you are beginning to wonder, what am I missing when I'm not on it? There's a, there's a, there's actually, I think there's a, even a depression because you, I think your whole soul knows that you're missing out on certain aspects on life. But at the same time, the addiction is so strong because you don't want to miss out. You know, it's like, oh, I, 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 I want to know what's going on in, in this particular world or what people are talking about or what they're wearing or what, you know, what's the news. I need to be plugged in, so to speak. And what, what alarms me is right now we have the ability, right now I have the ability to take my phone and uh, turn it off. Uh, put it in my uh, in my you know in my kitchen and plug it in and you know to charge the the phone, and I have the ability to go outside, take a walk on the beach, go running, uh, go go for a hike, go uh, whatever I want to do, go to the library. Now what I'm what I'm concerned about is that as we advance, quote unquote, quote in quotes in air quotes, advance <laughs> technologically. And this has already been talked about, Leslie. This has been talked about, and there are those that want to move forward because the ones, the folks that are into the artificial intelligence and the blending of technology and human beings, they're talking about the ability of having, like your smartphone, embedded into you so that you are always connected. Now... They're going to say, this is great because, you know, if you if you get in an accident or you're sick or you have a heart attack, all of your medical information will be uploaded. It's a way for you to stay in contact. But to me, that just that sounds like a nightmare. I mean, to me. It sounds like a nightmare to me, too. So there are a couple of things that, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about. One is that the fact that we can literally search for anything online has pretty much taken our community libraries out of uh, anybody's thoughts about bringing their kids to the library or the kids actually just choosing to go to the library to look things up. And so there's another lost opportunity for connection. But then the other thing that you were saying, yes, it's scary as heck when they're talking about stuff like this. Because if you are literally connected 24-7, 
where is your time for reflection? Where is the time where you can be quiet and still and listen for that still small voice so that you can actually have an epiphany about yourself or about a situation? If you're constantly connected or you're connecting constantly, <laughs> depending on which way it is, there is no time for the type of reflection and thinking that allows you to grow and take the information that you're receiving and actually put it somewhere and think about it. And that scares me to death because then we're beginning to look at the fact that all of this wonderful um, creativity that we're always striving for, that's going to go by the wayside. No one will have time to be creative. Right. Also, another aspect that bothers me is that the idea of with a push of a button, with a click of the mouse or a you know tap of your finger, you can erase someone out of your life. And that may sound, you know, over dramatic, overly dramatic, but um, what that does is it makes people disposable. And you can have, quote unquote, again, air quotes, friends on social media, Facebook friends, who maybe you have known through Facebook for six months, a year, three years, five years, however long you've been in contact with them. And if there is a disagreement or a misunderstanding, and as you being a communications expert, you know that as human beings, we constantly miscommunicate. We constantly interpret things uh, incorrectly that someone has texted or said. And with a push of a button, you can be blocked, erased, deleted out of someone's life. And I want to, I want to, I want to delve, delve into that. What does that do to the person that is being deleted or blocked or uh, basically just um, vanished, I guess you'd say? Well, I, I think there are, are two sides to this. And the, to me, the first side is when you allow someone to become a Facebook friend. There, to me, right now, nobody thinks about uh, boundaries. No one thinks about ramifications. No one thinks about consequences. And definitely in terms of what you are posting, what the consequences are to the people that are Facebook friends. So on the front side, I will be honest with you, I have more LinkedIn uh, people than I have Facebook friends because I like my personal life being personal. And that's just my, that's, that's my decision. That's uh, kind of my boundary. But when you start to unfollow or unlike or defriend somebody, what happens on the other side is they don't know why. And I think the biggest issue is, is if, if you are about to do that, there should have been some warning sign. 
there should have been a um, <clears throat> a message, a private message saying the things that you are posting um, are toxic and I really can't have them on my Facebook page anymore. So unless you change how it is that you are posting, I will have to um, be in a position of unfriending you. So just like in real life, <laughs> face-to-face, when you have those conversations, I think it's only fair that you do the same through private message to let them know what's going on and why you feel that unless behavior changes, you will have to, um, in air quotes, delete them. Then I think it's fair to do so if they do not uh, follow the boundaries that you have set up because you've made them the captain of their own fate to let them know what they have to do in order to stay friended with you. And I understand, and, and here's the flip side of my comment. I'm playing devil's advocate to my own question, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is mm-hmm. if someone, uh, you know, if, if, they care, if they have a very negative energy, if they are confrontational, if they are virtually stalking you, you know, constantly messaging you or saying things that upset you, you have every right to, to not have that in your life. Um, and, cool. and, and, and that's, you know, I, I myself have ha- had to do that, you know, um, a couple times because, uh, the energy and the, you know, the person, the, the person was, a, you know, could be a very troubled individual and there's nothing that I can do to help, but I, I, I'm getting a reaction every single time I hear something on my phone. And so to make my life also not so, um, uh, stressful, um, I've had to do that with certain people, with mm-hmm. certain individuals. And then that goes to the next question that I want to uh, talk to you about. The uh, um, the idea of cyber stalking, be it someone who is, uh, you know, uh, there, there's there's people who become infatuated with, with certain folks that they find on the Internet and they bombard them or love love bomb them, so to speak. There is that aspect of people, um, uh, you know, communicating in that, in that kind of way. And then there's this thing called cyberbullying, And I'd like to talk about that. Um, we, I, there's an alarming amount of, of young people at, well, not, at any age, uh, who have even been driven to suicide because mm-hmm. of cyberbullying. Can you talk about that? Do you, do you have any comments about that? I definitely do. Um, and this is one of the issues where because an entire generation now has been brought up with social media and that that social media has become the thing to do, especially in terms of, of middle school and, and high school, in terms of popularity and all that kind of thing. And if you don't friend everybody in your class, there's, there's something wrong with you. There is so much peer pressure, and that peer pressure is coming straight into who you allow on your social media. And the problem is that if you think about it, you know, back in the old days, mean girls did not have, or mean boys did not have access to instantaneous posting that could get out of control, go viral, and make someone's life absolutely miserable 
on a, a minute-by-minute basis. Mm, that yeah. didn't exist before. No, you're right. In the, 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 the issue right now is, it's, it's a, honestly, it's a question of volume. If you have one person who's really cool at school and they decide that the clothes that you are wearing are not up to speed and they put something snarky on the Facebook, you know people are going to pile on. And so now you have a young person who's sitting in their bedroom with their computer or their smartphone and they're reading 45 comments about what they're wearing. Self-esteem at that age is fragile enough. And so this cyberbullying has got, gotten things to a point where even uh, parents don't realize just how bad it is. And because of the fact that um, students feel that they have to have everybody in their class be friends, they are in a situation where they're open to this. And it would be almost unthinkable to them to unfriend somebody because then they're going to get bullied in a different way. It's, it's a really vicious, vicious circle. I was just thinking when you were talking about that, the, you know, let's say 20, 25 years ago, if you were the victim of, let's say, um, date rape or sexual assault or something of that nature, you would be, you know, you would be experiencing that moment within yourself, maybe repeatedly in your mind, or if you reached out to family members, you would just be communicating and that information would be going between you and your family members, perhaps, you know, you're a caring uh, parent or a friend, or if, you know, if you're religious, you know, maybe uh, someone that you would go to for counseling. And now mm -hmm. with social media, and this has been, this has been shown where, my God, news gets out about someone, you know, a young girl being, um, as we've seen, you know, photos uh, are, are put on the Internet and on social media and sent out to thousands of people. Uh, and then you have the piling on of people saying horrific things about the victim. And when I, I just can't imagine how soul crushing that would be to that pers that person who had experienced that violence or that that sexual assault and then to be reliving that assault through others comments and laughing and and I mean just it, the worst of the worst kind of human behavior as far as I'm concerned but that has really that's where we're at right now right that's where that's where we find it, ourselves it is absolutely where we're at. And one of the things that you use the phrase soul crushing, and I have to agree, it, it used to be where if something like that happened to uh, a, a young girl, um, or if a young man had been abused and someone had found out about it, that used to be handled as a family or as a community. And there was a chance for that young person to um, 
kind of adapt to a new normal and still feel that they um, are worth something. But what happens when people pile on like this and when social media allows things to get viral, it's that society, they feel that society as a whole is looking at them in a particular way and that they will never, and in the mind of a young person, never really does exist for them. That they will never be able to, quote-unquote, live it down or not be thought of as a victim or a number of other things. So now what are they supposed to do? And this is where, to your point, Christine, this is where we have uh, suicide rates um, climbing amongst teenagers to, um, you know, heretofore uh, never seen numbers. And it's not getting any better. And I think one of the things that needs to be said is, you know, in medicine, we have gone so far and we are able to do so many things, but what's lagged behind is the ethics as to how to deal with what we can do in medicine. Well, the same is true of social media. All these things that we can do and and post and, and, you know, Instagram and videos and all of this kind of stuff that can go literally worldwide in seconds. We do not have any rule book for it. We don't have the ethics that go along with that capability. And that's something that really needs to be stressed, not only for adults, but for parents who are bringing up kids. This, this is an important piece of, of education that they have to have in terms of ethics and boundaries in terms of what they do on social media. Oh, I think there's a whole, yeah, there, there's a whole, <laughs> there's a whole uh, uh, different, there's a whole field that's opening up in that, in that respect about dealing yes. with the ramifications of social media. Now, now we talked again, we've talked about some of the, Oh, the the concerns of social media and being hooked up, so to speak, in uh, in Facebook and Instagram and all these different um, applications. But let's um let's talk about the flip side, because I know I mean with everything, there is always a flip side. There's always you know to, with technology you can I you can use what is it they say you can you can use a hammer to uh to build a house or to you know bash somebody in the head. So um yeah. so there's always a flip side. The flip side is. That we are uh, able to communicate with people all around the world in a in a flash, and basically within a few seconds, I can send something or or uh, comment on something that someone uh, you know in Europe or in Africa uh, is doing, and it just actually just something that we've noticed just recently: the power of millions of people. Uh, focusing in on an issue, be be it um, uh, what's happening with the pipeline. You know, I mean, look at look at the mm-hmm. the um, um, incredible amount of exposure. Even when the corporate media was not talking about it and ignoring the situation, social media was ablaze about it and sharing videos of what of you know here's photos of you know what's happening to the uh, the water protectors and the the uh, the native american people that were there and then look 
what is it, 4,000 uh, vets show up just just mm-hmm. recently to to stand in protection of that line. Thousands of other um, uh, just, you know, average citizens, uh, you know, basically braced, embraced the cold and went down there. So there are some flip side. There are good things about social media. And let's talk about that, the, the using that capability for good. If, if we can. <laughs> oh, no, they absolutely. One of the things about the social media platform is that it's completely different from television, from uh, radio mostly, uh, from newspapers, and that is that really it's a very democratic platform from the point of view that anyone can talk, anyone can pontificate, anyone can give their viewpoint. It used to be back in colonial days, you would have someone standing on their soapbox, and this is an electronic soapbox. Right, and, right. You know, <laughs> and, so, and anyone can do it. And one of the things that is marvelous, to your point, is that, uh, boy, I mean, five years ago, people were saying, let's do a flash mob, and everybody would show up, and now um, socially responsible people are taking that capability and doing exactly what you're saying about uh, the Dakota Pipeline. And I think that's the great part of social media, where you can have someone... um, like uh, Shamar Moore, uh, who was um, Morgan on Criminal Minds. And he has a very active Facebook, and he is so empowering of of, uh, young women and uh, young girls and, and women in terms of who they are and how powerful they can be. And reading his posts are amazingly um, uh, affirming. And this is the positive use of of Facebook and what it can do. So I think I think there are more of that kind and those type of people out there. It's just that we hear about the ones that are uh, negative and shall we say more um, evilly intended. Let's put it that way. But I really believe that as a platform. It is absolutely wonderful and open to everyone so that they can do with it what they wish to, and hopefully what they wish to is positive. Uh, Case in point, when there was a young girl who was uh, tragically, uh, well, there was actually two reports uh, injured from uh, rubber bullets that were fired at her one was, I believe she had, um, I believe she had lost her arm. And then another one, uh, her eye, the, while that was absolutely tragic for what they were doing and standing up, the outpouring of love and help assistance through social media, the, uh, 
the, the folks who were with her sent out, you know, um, a couple different uh, bits of information through through Twitter and through Facebook saying that she's, you know, she's being operated on or these young women were being uh, taken care of at the hospital, but they needed assistance, you know, uh, with the medical, you know, I mean, my God, it's a life lifelong, you know, situation they have. But the mm-hmm. outpouring of money that came in to me was a, a positive use of social media. Same thing with our political, even with our political arena. And it doesn't matter who I'm, uh, it doesn't, you know, whoever you voted for listeners, that's great. <laughs> I'm not telling, I'm not telling anybody how they voted. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting in the lead up to the election in the primary with Bernie Sanders, here is a man who was not covered by the by television media, barely. I mean, they, you know, they mentioned his name maybe once in a while, but they didn't cover his rallies the way that they should have. There was tens of thousands of people at his rallies, but he was able to get donations. And I believe it was like $27 or something like that. It was a, it was a number that was very low, but just through social media alone, he was able to raise enough money through his campaign. He didn't have big campaign cont- contributors. He didn't have the banks or the right. the oil companies uh, or the financial institutions dropping millions on his lap or the Koch brothers. This was all done by individuals. And, uh, and so the power of social media to generate uh, assistance with funding is also a very positive thing. It it really is, and I actually call it social media activism. And this is a new way. I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm a child of the 60s, and I was active in in, uh, my college years in the early 70s. There was activism all over the place with uh, civil rights and women's rights and all that type (laughs) of thing. And there you just had to physically show up at rallies and whatever to make your feelings and activism known, now you can do that on social media in so many different ways. So for me, social media activism is a new way for uh, the younger generation who I think are doing it naturally and for those of us who are uh, Boomer or Gen X are beginning to pick up on the fact that this is a new way of, of being an activist with, <laughs> I hate to say it, without having to leave your house. And, and it's equally as effective. And that's why I believe that, that Bernie Sanders was effective because he tapped into the desire for um, activism uh, on so many different levels and in a number of generations. Well, and the just the sheer volume or the sheer numbers, you know, there are some things, there are some cases that people do need to show up. The bodies need to be there, as we've seen with uh, the the uh, Standing Rock situation and the pipeline. You know, if we all stayed in our living room or our bedroom and just and tweeted out, you know, stop, 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 they wouldn't, you know, right. nothing would happen. It actually takes physical bodies to be there. And the same thing with uh, uh well, when when people get together and make their voices heard, physical bodies do need to show up. But it's because of the social media where 
tens of thousands, if not millions of people are aware of, oh, there's going to be a gathering at this location. Here's the people to contact. Mm -hmm. Here's going. Here's people that are going. I can track uh, the progress of this. Oh, there's 5,000 people there. Oh, okay. This is going to happen in my hometown. You know, that's, that was the other thing with social media and Bernie Sanders, the campaign that were very smart to have the rallies, uh, in, in several different uh, places around the country, but leading up to it, always letting people know on, on social media. And then those people shared that with their friends and then, you know, so on and so on. And, it was sort of a. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, Leslie. I've I've never seen so many people, and from across the spectrum, people who used to, people who were Republicans, people who were Democrats, people who were progressives, uh, people who were undecideds, you know, independents. They were really, really swept up and believed very much in what I think Bernie spoke for a great deal of a, a lot of Americans, uh, regardless mm-hmm. of political. Uh, party affiliation, but really spoke to people's hearts. And so that was communicated through social media. And then again, it just the ripple effect, you know, happened with that. It was I, I don't I've never seen anything like that before. Well, I, I can say that what he was able to do, he and his people were able to do was create a strategy in terms of how to use social media based on their understanding of how social media was being used for the groups that they really wanted to uh, get grassroots in in terms of of having that grassroots go out and talk, as you say, with their friends and their friends and their friends and their friends. And they just had a strategy that made so much sense on so many different levels, whether it was, here's what my idea is on uh, how to pay for college, which could have just been a splash to a a PDF that anybody could read. But also to your point, Christine, of we're going to be in Minneapolis on such and such a date and bring bring all your friends and have that retweeted and, and re-Facebooked and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And then you have a whole bunch of people that show up because your strategy was out in front of it by a couple of weeks so that you could create an event that people could get excited about, put in their smartphones, set that alarm, and make sure that they were there. Yes. And oh and boy were they there. Oh <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Absolutely. One thing too, uh, that I I would like to kind of get into is as well is in the in the creative platform, but also what we used to have. I mean I, I grew up again, I grew up in the in the seventies here in Los Angeles in Los Angeles and when I did, you know, we had yeah, we had to, we had radio. Um but we had, you know, like I remember just listening to my AM transistor radio for the most part. I'd, I'd tape it to my mm-hmm. bike, you know, and I would listen to kind of, you know, <laughs> some music and things like that. Uh, nothing ever serious. But with television, I think we had like four channels or five channels. <laughs> I think it was it was uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, and then like UHF, you know, which was this weird. Yep. Do you remember that? It was this weird land. I 
I think uh, I think I remember watching the roller derby, you know, the Thunderbirds, and I thought that was amazing, and Little Rascals. But it was a weird channel. I don't I don't really even understand what that weird UHF <laughs> channel was. But anyway, <laughs> I, we didn't have five thousand cable channels, you know, like what they have now. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't have twenty four hour news. At a certain point of the night, I remember, remember that test pattern would come up. And that'd be that horrible sound on your television, and that was done. You're done. You're not listening. You're not watching television anymore. It's time to go to sleep, or it's you know time to do something else. But what I've what I've realized is that we used to, wow, we used to become educated or informed through the television. You people would sit around and watch 60 Minutes. You know that was a thing. It was like mm-hmm. a Sunday night. You had to sit down and watch 60 Minutes because they were going to tell you something important. But what's happened is that the the dynamics have changed where instead of millions of people being fed what a network wants to show you or tell you, we as human beings now with social media and the expansion of the Internet, we are seeking information that we want and also self-publishing news or uh, things are of importance. That's the beauty of social media. It's one reason why I'm able to do out of the box radio. And we have, uh, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers because we have listeners who are seeking this information and they're like, I want to hear that. I like that kind of conversation. Instead of being just fed uh, information, we as human beings now are seeking our our information, are seeking, and I, I know it's through a filter, Leslie, I know it's through, uh, sometimes it could be a religious <laughs> filter or a political filter or just your socioeconomic right. filter, but we are seeking more and more the information that we are attuned to, that we're, that we're interested in. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying in a really long-winded way? <laughs> I do. There's, there, there's been a long road from being fed by the networks to seeking on our own, and to me, it's mostly good. And but uh, to be perfectly honest with you, there's some negatives that go along with that. Oh yes, and that that you know, I mean, at least with with uh, Walter Cronkite, you knew that you were getting fair and balanced and vetted information. Nothing got on that television, uh, that newscast, unless they wouldn't be sued by, for because of what they had put on there, because they had really done their work and that they had uh, the sources, and so there were there was much more fair and balanced back then. But it was uh, kind of force fed to us. But now, when we're talking about literally. Uh, 40 years later, <clears throat> what we're talking about is that there's no rules out there, and you don't know whether what you're hearing in terms of news is real or not. And that, to me, is the, the big negative. But the big positive is, to your point, Christine, that we can have someone like you on radio we can have with all of these stations uh, some wonderful shows. I mean, regular television, hour-long shows that we would never have had if we didn't have that ability for for cable and for 
uh, radio to be not just for the masses, but of the masses. And I think that's really, really important. Again, it comes back to um, who has access, who has access to create content for other folks. And I think that um, we just really have to be careful about are we getting all of our news from one type of source? And if that's the case, we're not going to ever be called to critically think about what that type of source is giving us. And, and that, to me, is the one area that we have to guard against. I understand. I, I, I understand what you're saying exactly, because we, we can go through life seeking only things that reinforce our beliefs. You know, I'm a certain way. I believe people are a certain way. So I'm going to devour uh, news and information that has that slant. You know, if, if I'm someone who is conservative, I'm going to just listen to things that are like on Fox News or uh, Rush Limbaugh or whoever. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is also a danger as well, because then it's a, a multi- multi- multiplied uh, news sources that are reinforcing a particular ideology. What I enjoy right. is being challenged. I like to be, yes, there's certain things that I gravitate towards that I like the style of a person, you know, a, a presenter or a program or a podcast. I like the way that they think, you know, or, or their sense of humor. But I also am very open to, you know, I'm one of these people who is like, who's like, well, I believe in, you know, I believe this way, but I'm also open to having my mind changed. And because I think that's how you learn and grow, you know, things that I believed 10 years ago, you know, things that I thought and believed 10 years ago, um, have, have changed in a lot of respects. I've, I've learned to adapt that way. And that's what I'm hoping that our listeners, I know our listeners because they're out of the box thinkers. So (laughs) I know that they are that way, but I'm hoping that as we Mm, evolve uh, that we allow that to happen within us. And that comes back to communication skills, right? And the art of listening and really hearing another person. And, And I think one of the things, Christine, that you said is being open, being open to have yourself challenged because there's nothing wrong with having your thoughts or your thinking challenged or your beliefs challenged. Because if they're challenged and you are really looking at, at what is challenging them, then even if you decide, no, I, I really still feel this way, the point is that you are open enough to look at it and therefore your, your beliefs may be stronger as a result. And also when you're open to other points of view, even though you may not subscribe to them, you now at least understand the people that hold that point of view. And, and that is a really good thing because in this world, we are always in conversation with people who may not hold the same points of view that we do. Exactly. And that's how we, you know, when we bump heads with those that we are in disagreement with and the and pride gets involved or the ego gets involved that's how wars mm-hmm. are started you know that's how violence happens and i think 
that it comes down to one of the things that you, I know in your, uh, with the work that you do, you really want to reiterate. It's to, um, to respect one another, even if you don't agree with one another, to respect one another. And I mean, one of the most uh, obvious things that, uh, obvious uh, displays of that or a lack of respect for one another was this political season. You know, I, 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 seeing what was happening with, you know, the, with my Facebook friends who, those who were Democrats versus those who were Republicans, what they were saying about one another was just so ugly to me. And I mean, even within the Democratic Party with, uh, you know, the, the, the Sanders folks versus the Clinton folks and how they were treating one another, it all comes down to we do need to respect one another. We can challenge one another's maybe uh, perspectives and say, well, let me show you this and do it in a respectful manner. But to realize that if that person doesn't want to accept it or doesn't want to believe it, that's their that's their right. It's right. Absolutely, and and one thing that that brings up, Christine, is that part of what happens, and you you said it earlier about the ego getting involved, and when we talk about conversations that end up being arguments, what has happened is that the ego has gotten involved, and and it 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 has turned, um, it. It has turned from solving the problem to um, it's it's me against you. And I have always said in terms of conflict resolution is let's change it from you against me to us against the problem. And if that switch were made, we'd have a heck of a lot less arguments and conflict. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's an understatement. Well, that's, 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 I think, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily believe in an entity of, of evil, but I do believe that the ego and pride, I think it just destroys so, so much. Um, I can see people say such hurtful things to one another and it's over it's to protect the ego or to to protect their pride and such devastation can happen and as a communication expert too you know the importance of words uh the the power that words i i have i'm a i'm a scorpio i don't know if you're into astrology but i have five planets in scorpio and i will tell you at my age too uh, i have learned how i don't need a gun Leslie, I don't need mm-hmm. a hatchet. All I need is my mouth and my yeah. words. And words can destroy someone more than a gun or a knife. Absolutely. Because the, those, yeah. those, those can heal. But one of the things, and this is coming way, way back to family dynamics as you're growing up, when you have been hurt with words, when you have been um, where your self-worth has been literally thrown in the trash, one of the only ways to get power back is to um, have that ego put up that wall and protect you. 
So when we're talking with folks that have that as a protection mechanism, we're looking at someone who underneath all that, way back, was hurt. And to me, that is a way of looking at what is going on, having compassion, holding my own, but understanding where it is coming from. And that's why I always want the you and me against the problem so that they don't feel assailed or, or uh, pointed, um, pointed out as being the, the, the bad person or whatever. They had enough of that when they were young. Let's, let's use your brain and your thought process and my brain and my thought process and let's come to a resolution. Let's come to a way of solving the problem that keeps your um, self-image and self-worth and respect not only intact but improved. That's why you're a communication expert, Leslie Shore. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I have uh, to say, I do. (laughs) I love it too. I, I, I... You know what? I just, I love the art of conversation. And more importantly, I love to listen. You know, I really do. I love to hear what people say. And, uh, and, and I just love to share. That's why I love having guests like you on Out of the Box Radio because our listeners, they, they do feel, uh, your intention as well as your voice and your knowledge and your experience. But it's the intention behind those words, your heart. And that, if if folks don't leave with anything from this program, Mm -hmm. I want them to leave with the idea that whatever kind of conversation you're having, be it social media, in in person, uh, in emails, come from your heart. And even if you're misunderstood, keep coming from your heart. That's that, right? That's that's just absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the world will be a better place if we all did that. I, 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 I truly believe that. Oh, Leslie Shore, I want to thank you so very much for for being with us this hour. Uh, you've been amazing, and and we'd love to have you back at, at any point if you're if you're interested. We'd love to have you come back on the show. I love it. Oh, good, good. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that uh, you can find out more about Leslie and Leslie's work at listentosucceed.com. She has a she has a brand new book, Listen to Succeed, How to Identify and Overcome Barriers to Effective Listening. And again, her website is listentosucceed.com. Check her out and do your best, folks, to comfort your heart when you communicate so this world could be better. Please. <laughs> I want to thank you again, Leslie, so much. I just want to remind folks, if you love this show and you want to share it with others, which I think you should, please remember to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Out of the Box with Christine, and you can share this actual show through email, social media. It's really easy to do. You can share the link super, super easily. I want to thank you listeners for tuning in. And remember, as I always say, to think outside of the box. Until next week, bye for now.